All right, so we're going to jump into our new series. We're going to interrupt our uh, our uh, current Bible series uh, bec- with this uh, topic. I know a lot of you uh, got my emails this week uh, that uh, that sin is not a popular topic to talk about, but it's a necessary one, um, especially since our Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit say so much about it in Scripture. Um, and before I started, I wanted to ask a question. There was a show that aired on TV between 1964 and 1967 that the characters were actually based on the seven deadly sins. I'm going to give you 20 seconds without looking at your phones and cheating. What show that was? It was based on the seven deadly sins. Uh, you can't know either, because you know. All right, we're going to guess. Go ahead. What you got? It was actually a show. Yep, it was a show. And online, go ahead. I'm looking here actually on my iPad as well, so I'd love to see some of your uh, some of your guesses. Does anybody have any idea what the show was? For those of you old enough to watch the show. I know, the young adults are like, oh, thank God. He's not looking at me, because I was like, was not born. I hey, clue I wasn't born either, but I saw the reruns, so I wasn't born back then. Anybody have an idea? The name of the show was called Gilligan's Island. Sherman Swartz, the uh, the uh, producer, uh, when he was in an interview with NPR, he was saying that that gave him the inspiration uh, for doing Gilligan's Island. If you look at each of the seven characters, they correspond with the seven deadly sins. Uh, Gilligan, he ate all the time, coconuts and bananas. He was gluttony. Uh, Marianne was envy. She was jealous of of uh, Ginger. Ginger would have uh, personified the lust, uh, the skipper, anger, and so on. Um, so here's an interesting fact also. The show actually started out as a serious show. It was never meant to be a comedy. But when they screamed, screened it in front of people, they hated it. They're like, man, this is a horrible story of these people getting stranded. No one's going to buy it. So they turned it into a comedy. You can still see the original pilot on YouTube in black and white. Uh, really scary. Uh, but uh, they wound up turning it into a comedy. Families loved it. And so they decided, hey, this is what we're going to do and make it a comedy. A comedy. Now, years later, in the 2000s, there was a show that was based on that original script. And actually now, as a society, we we're like, hey, this is a really cool show. What was that show? Lost. That is correct. So the script for Lost was based on the original Gilligan's Island script. Now, the people who aren't here, you know something that they don't, and you can tease them. All right. So anyway, let's define sin first, and then we'll go on to the particular sin we're going to cover today. Sin simply is choosing to violate the law of God. God has expectations. As our sovereign ruler of the universe, he has expectations for us. But I think we miss his heart when we try to determine that the reason sin is bad is because we violate an expectation. That's true, but there's a deeper heart issue than just simply not following a rule. Why sin is such a big deal is because it sabotages our journey to living an abundant life that God has called us to. 
It's more than just not following his rules, but Jesus came that we could live this life abundantly. And when we struggle and are in bondage to sin, we can't do that. Regardless of what our heart wants, regardless of God desiring this beautiful life where we can overcome and we're called to rescue and be mediators of his love and justice and mercy in the world. If we're in bondage to sin, any particular scenario, it is very difficult, almost impossible to do that. Um, that's why it's a big deal. It hurts the Lord when we can't do that because he's called us from before we were born, the scripture tells us, for these amazing works. And for us to be molded into Jesus Christ's likeness, we need to make sure that we address sin in our own lives. Um, I got this picture actually when I was working on the message that when we engage in habitual sin, obviously us being human, there are going to be times we're going to struggle with sin and we confess and we make things right with God and each other. That's one thing. But the habitual kinds of sins that we struggle with over time, it's a picture of someone sitting alone in a jail cell with no shackles on and the doors open. We're choosing to go back to prison. Even though God has created a way that we can be free, when we do that and we don't address this, we wind up sitting in a cell with the door wide open, all the doors to the prison unlocked with no shackles. It sabotages our journey to live this abundant, spirit-filled life that he desires. Um, the Lord, you know, corrected me. This is a, a tough sermon, and actually it's going to be a hard series because as I'm doing this, the Holy Spirit is working in my own life and pointing out either where areas of my life that I need to deal with habitual sin or warnings to say, hey, James, you need to make sure that you watch this. Um, but one cool thing the Holy Spirit reminded me is that I can't free someone if I'm in handcuffs. I can't do it. All right, so we're going to go with pride. Pride is the first one that we're going to cover today. Part of the reason is that most of the other sins that are mentioned in this list, and it's not an exhaustive, complete list of sins, um, but one reason that pride is mentioned first usually is because it's usually a door or a window. It leads to a path to a lot of the other sins. Now, pride in Scripture is defined literally as self-lifting, that we lift or elevate ourselves above God, and above others. That's the simplest definition of pride. Pride, again, it can lead to every other sin. And I want to mention, uh, who's familiar with uh, Gandhi? Famous civil rights guy from India, if you're familiar. Okay. All right. So it's very interesting. In India, they have a system called the caste system. And if you're not familiar with that, it's a, a, a class structure that they have, and it's based on your birth. Seems kind of crazy, right? So whatever you're born into, this is a level, a, a level of class that you fit into this society. And there are certain things you can do, can't do, how you're treated, um, how you're not treated, places you can go, places you can't, all based on this caste, this level, this social level and structure um, in India. And it's solely determined not by what you do, but by your birth. And it totally runs counter to the kingdom, right? Because even though we've been born in sin, when we're born again, now we're all the same and we have access to the full glory and power of God's Holy Spirit. So Gandhi, when he was in college, he actually went, he read the Gospels and thought that someday he might find a cure for this caste system. 
especially the Gospel of Luke. He really enjoyed reading that because Luke focuses on how the kingdom of God is for everyone that is accessible for everybody, and that really appealed to Gandhi. So he decided to go to church, and he asked a minister how to become a Christian. However, when he entered the building, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he should, be, he should worship with his own caste. Think about that. Gandhi left that church and he never came back. He said in his memoirs, if Christians have caste systems also, I might as well remain a Hindu. This was a sad example of how pride can blind us and keep us from experiencing the amazing work of God in our lives. So today we're going to look at what God says in the Bible about pride. We're going to talk about some of the symptoms and actions you can take if you're struggling in this area. Or if it's someone else that you may know, a friend that's struggling in this area, you might be able to help them. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, no, Holy Spirit, come. Um, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for uh, this just amazing time that we get to take joy. Not only is worshiping God something that's expected, but it's something that we long to do, our souls long to do, and we felt your presence here um, in this place. So please remain. Please examine our hearts. Speak to us. And if this is an area that we struggle with, may there be no self-condemnation. But this would be an opportunity that we have to be liberated, to be free, that we can see the Lord's mercy and grace and healing in our soul. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Uh, our main text comes from John 3, John 3. So if you have that, John 3.23 in your Bibles or your Bible apps. And uh, we're going to start with verse 23. It says this, Now John was baptizing at Anan near Solomon. Because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. Now, this was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew, came, a, a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater I must become less. That's awesome. That's a great scripture. And we're going to just jump in right into pride because that's a beautiful example of a person that humbles themselves, which is the opposite, which is the answer to pride. When he could have very easily puffed, him, puffed himself up. And we're going to go back through this in a little bit, and I'll tell you what I mean. So going back to 23, now John was baptizing near Anan, near, near Solom, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. So we find out later that John starts calling out everybody. Like he's calling to this baptism of repentance, right? Where he's like, people, it's not enough for you to just dunk your hands in the water and start washing them, which was common. 
but it was a symbolic gesture of us submitting our entire lives to be cleansed by the Lord. And it was a baptism of repentance, a baptism of turning around and turning away from that old lifestyle. They came to John and they said, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. We could understand John, if we look at it, he was older than Jesus. He was the one that kind of established the way. People started coming to the Lord and, and, and began to receive this message of being, of being necessary to repent. So John could have felt a certain kind of way about that. And is like, wait a minute. Jesus, I was the one that baptized you. And now you're on the other side of my river where I am baptizing. Think about that. Jesus was right on the other side where he was baptizing. And he could have said, look, what are you doing, man? You're too close to my ministry. You need to move upstream a little bit. Maybe go to Joppa or Haifa or something. Because this is kind of my territory. These are my people. All right? He could have done that. But instead... He replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. In other words, the people that John had that were followers, John recognized he had to look at them with an open hand. They weren't his to do what he wanted to with. If it was time for them to go and time for them to follow Jesus, then so be it. John understood his role and he understood his place. That this is God's mission, not his own. He said, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride, I love the song you sang today about the bride, the, the bride and the uh, bridegroom, uh, Melody, um, that listens, that who, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. We are called the bride of Christ. And in a wedding, you know there's an excitement when the bride and groom finally are in the same place. There's a celebration. There's a, a, a palpable feeling of joy and excitement as they're there right at the front. She's walked down the aisle. Everyone is looking at this couple and know this special union is about to take place. And he says, My, that joy is mine and it is now complete. That expression usually means, uh, if you, have you guys ever heard the expression, I can die now? It was so good. All right. I can go to heaven now. I can die. There's nothing better. That is where that expression is rooted. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. What a beautiful picture of humility. So these are a few things that we can take away um, from uh, this scripture as well as other scriptures when it talks about pride. The first thing we can take away is that pride is rooted in the ultimate lie. The ultimate lie. In Genesis 3.5, um, it talks about how Satan has spoken to, to Eve and it said, are, are you really sure that God really told you this not to eat of that? Maybe it's just because he doesn't want you to become like him. We've been in this search for becoming like God's the world. And some of that has crept into the church. This thinking that we want to be in control of everything. We want to elevate ourselves to a place where we control the narrative. Where we become God and our decisions. Every once in a while, we can invite God into it. This is what I've decided. This, this, and this. Okay, God, how are you going to help me do this, this, and this? 
as opposed to going to God first. We've elevated ourselves to that, this ultimate sin of self, where we minimize God's rule and reign and we elevate ourselves. So that makes pride a form of idolatry, where we worship ourselves. What's sad about the world is that so many of the decisions that we've made, whether it's in government, whether it's in civil discourse, in the world, people try to be gods. They won't come out and say it, but we want to be in control of our own destiny, right? Who doesn't want to do that? We want to be in control of what we do. And so a lot of the world tries to force things to happen. And this is what I think would be paradise. And this is what I think would be paradise. And this is what the government thinks should be paradise. And this is what my community thinks should be paradise. Our world can't even get it together and decide what that is because they don't have a relationship with the true God that's above all to give a perfect representation of what paradise should be. Everyone, even Christians, because it says we see dimly in a mirror, right? We're trying, we have this relationship with the Lord. We know him. We're learning to hear his voice. But boy, if there's no connection with the Lord, it's guesswork. I bet you if you asked about 20 people who weren't Christians, wherever they are, hey, what do you think God's like? You would probably get 20 different answers. There would be no consistency, no established, beautiful, overarching narrative of what love, mercy, and justice really looks like. God provides that narrative. And when we try to take control and use our own human powers, our own human thinking, to try to control that narrative and to try to do things on our own, without the mercy and grace and power of the Holy Spirit, that easily turns into a form of idolatry. It's about us. So pride is rooted in the ultimate lie, the lie who we are in relationship to God. God is here and we are not. The second one is that pride is dangerous because it can be renamed as something good. It's the second one. It can be renamed. That's another one of those crazy things is a lot of these sins are so subtle, they can actually be made to even be positive. And we're going to go over some of those as we go through the list. Uh, but pride is a big one. Um, I was talking to my son, Hunter, and I was talking about this message. Hi, Hunter. And yes, I'll give you $5 for mentioning your name. I have to do that every time. He always says that um, uh, to do that. Um, I'm going to read to you Isaiah uh, 5. Uh, 20, and then I'll go with, with that, that conversation. Isaiah 5.20 says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Now, that really uh, drives the point home for me because I've had coffee that somebody told me was very sweet, and then I had some, and they lied. Um it did not cover up that bitter taste whatsoever. And let me tell you, it was very sorrowful for them after I took that swig. All right. So pride can be dangerous because it can be removed. And so I asked Hunter, I was like, Hunter, what are some things about prideful people that you know? Because, of course, that wouldn't be you. You know, you're, you're my son. Um, but what are some things that would do? And so these are some of the things he laid out, which I thought was brilliant. I'm not prideful. I'm just always right and you're not. I'm not prideful. I'm strongly confident. I'm not prideful. I'm just really self-assured. 
We hear those euphemisms all the time, and it's very easy to get sucked into that type of thinking, especially when it's not in alignment with who God made us to be. Beware of that. Beware of the subtle, the subtle thinking. Number three, there are plenty of symptoms. Um, I got to talk with some friends who are in the, the medical field. And um, one thing about a disease, which sin affects our spiritual health, is that one symptom doesn't make a disease, right? So you don't go to a dinner table, you cough once, and you go from zero to COVID, right? Like, that's not what that, what that is. Um, so you want to make sure when you're inviting the Holy Spirit to inspect yourself, that we invite the Holy Spirit to inspect our hearts, that we're looking at these signs, these things that happen over time and happen repeatedly over and over and over again. So I want to make sure that we get that. Um, so these aren't one-offs, but again, these are patterns that, of sin that are over time. These are common warning signs that we're dealing with, with habitual patterns of pride. This is what we can ask ourselves. Am I easily offended? Am I easily offended? Do I take everything personally as a, as a slight? If someone says, even though it may be thoughtless, it might be something inconsequential, but immediately we think, okay, we're being disrespected. Do most of the conversations I have seem to be focused on my own needs, desires, and priorities? Is anytime I meet in community, does it always circle to me all the time, all of the, the discussions? Do I chase positions or titles of authority or leadership? Do I chase positions or titles of authority or leadership? It says in Psalm 75, 6 and 7, that promotion comes from the Lord. Do I rarely apologize or ask for forgiveness for my role in conflicts? That might be a symptom as well. As well, um, if we ever get in arguments and and there's a uh, a time for restoration and healing, am I slow to ask for forgiveness for my part? Do I judge others based on my standards? This is a tough one, especially in the church today. It's very easy to look at the world and make judgments constantly. Do I serve others to be seen? That's a real tough one. Because we all like to be noticed, right? We all like for people to pat us on the back and thank us whether we're working in a church, whether we're volunteering at our own jobs, our families. We want people to be proud of us. Do I serve others to be seen? I think this is a big one because Matthew 6, 5 through 6 tells us that our Father in Heaven loves it when we do things in secret. There he's talking about prayer, and he was talking about how a lot of the religious leaders made a big deal of praying these big, long prayers in public so that they would appear very spiritual. But there's something to be done when we have the integrity and the assurance of this intimate relationship with the Lord that he's like, you know what? I know no one else saw what you did, and that's okay. I love you. I saw it, and you'll be rewarded for it. Those are some of the symptoms for the sickness of pride. Now that we got the symptoms, let's go to the great physician and look at the remedies. The first one is confession. It's a big one. It acknowledges you hurt your relationship with God and you want to restore it. Confession. You confess to the Lord. Obviously, we confess to each other as part of being a spiritual family. When things, the Lord tells us that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession is great. And it also restores our relationships 
with others. It demonstrates God's grace in our humanity at the same time. I love that. Uh, I'm going to read something from 1 Corinthians 6.11. It says this, that some of you were once like that. He was talking about uh, before we met Jesus and how our life was. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Call on him. If you're struggling with the sin, specifically it's, it's pride today, but any of them, call on the Lord. It's not like he doesn't know what you're struggling with, right? It's not like he doesn't know. So call on him. Invite the Holy Spirit in. Invite him. Ask him to give you wisdom and say, Lord, this is a struggle. How do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? The, last, the next one is prayer. Prayer is always easy when we limit it to words. You do not know how that cut to my heart when God asked me to add this to the sermon. Prayer is always easy when we limit it to words. But the true power of prayer is rooted in our faith to trust the great physician for our healing and our freedom. It must be more than routine words that are said time and time again, but a true desire to change and for the Holy Spirit to change us. Without the willingness to change our prayers, they're not prayers. They're simply wishing. Without the willingness to change, our prayers are not prayers. They're simply wishes. The last one is praise. If you're struggling with pride, praise is one of the best doses of medicine that you can get. Because when we praise God, we humble ourselves and we recognize God for his place above all creation and rescuing us from bondage. In our praise, we express love for him with our voice, with our body, and our soul. We proclaim to him, to ourselves, and to our world that he has no equal, no person, no government, no political party, no attitude, no problem, no worry can come close to his power to heal, restore, save, and protect. I'm going to close here with Philippians 2.5 because the aim of this is not again to condemn us, but to provide a place of healing and restoration if we're struggling. And this is all so that we can grow into the mindset and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11. And uh, this is, this is, I love this because if anyone has a right to boast and brag, it would have been Jesus, right? Especially what he went through here on earth. And this is what verse 5 says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. How many times when we struggle with pride, and I have, and I do, that we cling to an identity that's really not us? That's one of the biggest lies of Satan is that I am who my identity, who I want my identity to be. That's who I am. Or I am the identity of what the world wants or what the world thinks should be a person that's a righteous person and a Christian. Um, and so we cling to that. And what we do is we try to make that an appearance. We try to make it, I guess you could call it a spiritual 
web filter, right? And we cling to that rather than the truth of the Lord. Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Again, Jesus was no criminal, but he died the death of one. He didn't cling to his right identity. He simply wanted to be obedient to God, whatever it took. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When we're humble, when we acknowledge and we confess where we are with God, and if pride is a sin that we're having difficulties with, when we acknowledge that and confess and we take time to pray and we take time to praise him, and we don't fall for Satan's schemes of trying to soft sell it, well, it's really not that bad, right? It's really this, don't worry, he'll forgive you. Listen. Without sin, there's no need for grace. Without sin, there's no need for the Father's forgiveness. Without sin, there's no need for this message of reconciliation and restoration. When we're humble, we're like Jesus. Um, our uh, pastoral team, we had an a, a awesome meeting um, last week, and some things came up just about the church and and uh, this year is ending really fast. Like, do you know we're like two months away from 2022? Like, this year is going by really fast. And um, in prayer, we're looking at the church and what God not only is doing, it is going to be doing. And uh, and I ha was trying to figure out, man, what would be the right time to share this? God, is this a uh, would be would this be the right time to to share about 2022 and some things that are coming up? And I feel it is. In 2022, we need to be ready to receive people that the church in the past, if I'm honest, has considered unlovelies, unsavable, people who are dark, people who are lost, and there's no hope for them. We're going to be receiving those people in our church. And if we don't deal with pride, not only in our own lives, um, but also as a community. And that can mean sometimes we, we can get a little arrogant um, when someone comes in and has no knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And we look at them and we see them, oh, what a mess. What's the Texas expression? Bless their heart. They don't know Jesus. Oh, right? But how does Jesus see them? If Jesus was physically here and saw a person coming in that had an addiction, lost a family, was looking for answers, didn't get all the verses right, didn't know why we sing and why we take this bread and this juice, and had no idea, they cussed like a sailor. All right? 
this person comes in, what would be our first, our first thought when they would come in? And it's very easy for pride to come up and say, oh man, you've got some work to do. So because I'm awesome, I'm going to take some time to work with you to get you where you need to be. Then you can be like us, the humble ones. We don't say it, but if we're honest, folks, we think it. We do. It's human. It's human. So we need, this is something that we definitely need to pray into, to be on alert for, for Satan, trying to whisper those things in our ears and realize that we are all sinners saved by grace. And we get to be instruments of that grace to others. Jesus is pursuing them just like he pursued me and he's pursued you guys. We need to be ready for that. Will it be a mess? Yeah. It's a beautiful mess. The church, man, it's awesome because we're full of people in different places. Um, but that's our call. There might be some times where we may do sermon series that may seem simple to you. That's where God's calling us right now. If there's a season that God wants me to teach a 501 level seminary course, I'll do it. But right now, we need to see people where they are and bring them up with us. Not to be the super elite ones, and they can just kind of tag along as a sidekick and be a part of the popular lunchroom table at school. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. He loves them. Even the people that hate him, think about that. That hate Christianity. That hate the kingdom of God. That hate grace. That hate mercy. That hate God's biblical justice. Jesus still loved them and still died. We can do no less of how we pursue them. And we represent the kingdom to them. For some of us, this might not be the church for you. Not every church is. Because it's going to be a different time to have. But we need to be ready and we need to have our hearts open to receive them. Because once the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, and we get to see that progress and that growth. And you know what? We continue to grow through the process of mentoring others, discipling others. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, let's all stand in. Uh, we're going to take communion. Let's stand together this time.